the title of my story, uh, my sermon today, uh, is love, true love. So, love, true love, will follow you forever. It's a quote from the, imp- the impressive clergyman. True love is the greatest thing in the world, except for a nice MLT. That's a mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich where the mutton is nice and lean and the tomatoes are ripe. This is a quote by Miracle Max. So these are quotes from unquestionably one of the greatest movies of all time, The Princess Bride. If it had not been for The Princess Bride... None of us would even know what love really even is. So if you could stand with me as we read John chapter 15. John chapter 15 verses 12 through 17. Christ said, this is my commandment that you love and unselfishly seek the best for one another. Just as I have loved you. This is the, NL, uh, the amplified version. Okay. Well, it may sound slightly different. No one has greater love nor stronger commitment than to lay down his own life for his friends. You are my friends if you keep on doing what I've commanded you. I do not call you my servants any longer, for the servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but... I have called you my friends because I have revealed to you everything that I have heard from my father. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and I have appointed and I have placed and a purposeful planted you so that you would go and bear fruit and to keep on bearing it and that the fruit will remain and, and be everlasting So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, as my representative, he will give you. This is what I have commanded you, that you love and unselfishly seek the best for one another. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So Advent is upon us. As I said earlier, the purpose of Advent, it does a few things. Uh, One thing that it does is it recalibrates us. Every Christmas we come to this season and one of the first things we say is I'm not going to get caught up in all the commercialism this year. I'm going to try really hard to not think about all of that. I'm going to really try to make the, the full purpose of this season happen you know, in my life or in my household. You know, as parents, you may have said this thing. So this week we're going to be focusing on love. Last week we focused on hope. It was the leading up to Christ's birth is the expectation. They had expectation. They were hoping for one to come and save them. This week, we know who has come. And so therefore, now we're going to look at his love. And we're going to focus this specifically on love. So one of the things that happens to us every single year is we hear about a sermon about love and we go, hmm, okay, here it is, love again. Just like it was last Advent. Second week of Advent, we're going to hear about love. Let's talk about love. Well, the purpose of Advent is to recalibrate you, right? Because we do get lost in the shuffle of life. We get lost in the shuffle of denomination and theologies, and we start overthinking things that are have little importance, 
but we sometimes put aside the weightier matters. So, all around us, we see love at this time. The world is focusing on love during this time. They have it in their advertisements. It's everywhere. The whole month of December, and they're trying to creep it back to June where they start Christmas. The concept of love is very obvious. You'll see it in commercials. They're going to tell you, if you really love that special someone, then you should buy them diamond earrings. (laughs) Or my personal favorite, if you really love someone and you're really special to you, you should bring them outside and reveal to them the Lexus you just bought them that's wrapped (laughs) in the red bow. The marketing concepts really are spot on, though. As Christians, we like a kick against the gourds and go, that's all wrong. But it's really not. And I'll explain why. There really isn't any lying in them. If you really did love someone so much, you would be willing to show them that great love. So depending on your station in life, this is where it gets tricky. That Lexus may be fine for you to spend and put in your your spouse's driveway. You may have that. You may be able to buy those diamond earrings without any problem, or you may not. And so this is where it gets sticky. But the concept is that if you love someone, you want to show them this great image of your love. And so you're willing to do so much. You're willing to put a bow on a $100,000 car for your spouse. So the marketing concepts are proper. They're just misaligned because they make us feel like we need to do that when we can't afford that. But their concept really is cheap. We are told what true love costs, and it's so great that it costs everything. Love appears to be very cheap all around us. Who amongst us has ever said to friends, family, bye, love you? And if you were to clock it, maybe within 24 hours, maybe even not, maybe within an hour, we're saying something poorly about them. In some way, we're being negative about a brother or a sister. Maybe it's just some way they handle the situation. Oh, I would have done that better. I would have stood up for Christ in this way. And what you're really saying is you're really tearing them down because they didn't do what you thought that they should have done, Christian-like. But you love them. Bye. Love you. And I believe you mean that because I mean it too. And then when you go home, I'll talk bad about you. I might. I have. I'm a sinner. I'm sure you've done something I've disagreed with. I try to honor my parents all the time. But, but, (laughs) we're just going to leave that. (laughs) So we do do this. We have a cheapened version of what love is. When we're not focused on it, when we're not really dialed in to what love is and what does it mean, we read through the version, which is the amplified version, which takes the scripture and then it gives in parentheses What is that thing saying? He's saying, I want you to love one another and I want you to selfishly seek for the good of someone else. Selflessly, my apologies. Selflessly seek for the good of someone else. You put yourself aside for them. Okay? But when we see cheapened love, we look at it on commercials. 
We look at it in films. Love is cheapened when we as Christians do it wrong. In the season of Advent, the Father has gone to great lengths to show us how love really is expressed through the death of his son, the birth and the death of his son later in the year. The entirety of the expectation of the Messiah, all the way through his life and ministry up to his ascension, it is a picture for us to follow. So we're going to take a look at three key factors of God's love for us and how he showed that to us. And then we're going to take a look at two other key factors of how we are to carry out that kind of love. So we got five points we're going to discuss today. It's, that would make me a five-point Calvinist, I guess. <laughs> I'm going to do like other Ratliff here. I'm going to pause for chuckle. Because that was funny. I don't care who you are. Five-point Calvinist, five points I'm doing tonight. So in Daniel chapter 7, you don't need to stand, but Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, in the ESV version, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and all nations and all languages should serve him. And his dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. And his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. So God the Father has established authority over all things and given it over to Christ for the purpose of love. The love that he wanted to show us could not have been so sharply pointed without this greatness. Imagine if you can, you wanted to show much love by purchasing something. Let's say, this is Tom, he's up front. Sam was smart today, he moved over. <laughs> Tom, I'm going to buy you a pair of slippers for Christmas, okay? That's my way of showing him love. Is this nice? Yes, that shows love, right? Right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, amen? amen? Okay, thank you. <laughs> Maybe that's what I got to do. I got to say amen to get the response. But this shows love. I'm buying him a pair of slippers. He, he needs it. His floors are very cold at his house. Whatever it is. That shows love. Now, what if I cashed out all my retirement to pay off his mortgage? What level of love does that show? Is that a greater love? Yes. Is that a greater love? Yeah, thanks. The greater love is to give more from your abundance or from your lack. The greatest display of love is to give from such abundance. For a king to give all that's within his kingdom to a poor and lowly person that only visits that kingdom once a week on Sundays exemplifies a complete emptying of the abundance that he has. We would look at a king and go, that's amazing that he'd be willing to do that for some schlep that comes to his kingdom once a week. Some broken mess who doesn't even acknowledge the king while he's there. And the king is willing to give everything to this low and poor person. 
Psalm 103, verses 11 through 13 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove the transgressions from us. As, as a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. Give me a show of hands and be honest. If you have or haven't, because we're going to discuss it. Show of hands of anybody who has ever tried to find out geographically where the western direction meets the eastern point. Anyone? Okay. So the scripture tells us, how far does he remove our sins? As far as the east is from the west. We're finite Americans here. We go, oh, that's New York City to San Diego. That's how far God removes our sin. Poor people in Japan, they're full of sin. They can't be forgiven. They're outside of the ramifications of forgiveness, right? No, as far as the east is from the west. So, I was thinking about pulling up a volunteer, but that would just freak you all out. So I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to ask you this. If you were to start in New York City and travel west, we're going to go past many states before we get to California. But that's not the far most west point. It is the far most west point for our continent. But that's it. Does the west meet the east when it keeps going past Russia, past India, past Africa? It must stop at the western coast of Africa before the Atlantic, right? Or does it keep going over the Atlantic until it reaches New York City again? West must stop right there, though, right at the gates of New York City, right at beautiful Statue of Liberty. Stops there. That's where it meets the... That's where the west meets the east, right? Because it was there before? Or could the west keep going past Ohio? past California again, all the way back around to New York City, again and again and again. God's showing us that he has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west. That means it never touches. It is eternity. God has forgiven you of your sins and removed them from you for you never to return back to that point in which you are underneath the damnation that that sin has caused you in your life. It is eternity. It keeps going. The west never touches the east. It just keeps going west. At no point does it ever come to a point and goes, I've met east. It just keeps going west. And vice versa. That's how much God loves you. In John 3.16, verse 17, oh, the famous football plaque that's held up. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So, this is the culmination, which means all the parts come together. God's love for us is the ultimate sacrifice. I'm confident that all within the sound of my voice can agree that this would be the hardest thing. Actually, it's impossible for any of us. I believe that. I'm equally confident that none of us would be willing 
to let our children die. A child, pick one, anyone in your family. You might be thinking of one right now. I might be thinking a couple of your kids. Why are you looking at me, Luke? <laughs> this we can kid about because we know it's an impossibility. None of us would ever want to offer any of our kids especially giving that offering to someone who hates us, someone who is at war with us. We would never let our child go into glory for the sake of someone who hated your family. Never. But this is what God did. He has been giving his only son, and it's been, and I say giving, it's, it's an ongoing thing. He's been giving his only son since the garden. And he's still giving his son through the Holy Spirit when he illuminates people's eyes that they come to the understanding of what is God doing with this love? He is loving them. He gave his only son for the sake of our eternity. So there are many more scriptures that point to how God is loving us. While we were yet hostile and haters of God, and haters of his righteousness, the adults in this room know exactly what I mean. There was a point that you were at war with God before he enlightened your eyes. Thankfully, our children, this next generation, it's not to say that you're without sin and you don't still need Christ in your life and you don't still need to come to a born-again relationship to where you say, he is my God. He is my savior. But you're going to live in a household that is Christian. We didn't get those benefits. Our parents tried really hard to do the best they could. And they gave us Christ, many of them. But unless any of you or any of us have lived within a household that is Christ-centric in all things, we've had to figure that out on our own and try to pass that on down to our children. It's hard for us to say these things because we have to call a spade a spade, right? I'm sure all of our parents tried the best they could, the best way they knew how, far better than the parents that they had before them. But unless your house was born again and you gave that born again experience to your children through daily devotions with your children, through the teaching, and the Deuteronomy 6 says, teach them when they rise up, in their goings in and their goings out, and when they lie down, you are constantly teaching them the principles in the Word of God. Unless you grew up in that household, then you remember what it's like to be at war with God. Now, we're going to talk about the two points in which our responsibility on how we are to show love that God has given us. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for, God, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So Jesus is commanding us to love each other. What does this look like? Well, that comes in many shapes and sizes. It can be anything from giving a handshake or a pair of slippers or... Uh, all the way up to sacrificing something really big for your brother or sister. 
What seems small to some may be huge to others depending on their circumstances. Something very small little token. You thought about someone in their hard time. You reached out to them in their difficult time of adversity. You brought them a meal when no one in the house could cook because they were very sick from swine flu. You showed love. So it isn't a scorecard to say, well, I showed Jason greater love because, you know, I bought him that Hyundai. If you didn't know that, I did that for him. I would if I could. But I only gave Tom Pear a slipper, so Tom is less loved by me. So it's, it's not a scorecard to say who is there. It's when you take of yourself and give of yourself to your brethren, to those who are your friends. It's not just within these four walls. These are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And the Bible tells us that we need to all the more heap love upon them. But we're supposed to bring that out. Like we discussed in our liturgy, we are the light that's set on a lampstand to give light to all that's within the house. So when we show love, when we sacrifice of ourselves, big or small, it can be huge to the next person. Have you ever done something you thought, that was no big deal, but the person who you did that for is like head over heels amazed that you would have done that for them. You didn't even realize that it was going to bless them that much. You gave him slippers. You didn't realize his toes were so cold and his wife hates slippers. But he just loves slippers that you gave him. You know, like, it's a pair of slippers I found in my attic. So what's the deal? Here you go. Like, you can do so much with so little by just doing it through a heartfelt expression of your love. For someone to to, to pay you meaningful compliments sometimes... Well, like, like baldness really makes you look cool. Like, that would make me feel really, really happy. Whatever you do, you do it from the heart. That is what's going to change people's lives. That is what I'll say the world is searching for. They're searching for genuine, genuine Christianity. Not Christianity that is going to compromise Not Christianity that's just going to fake smile in your face and pat you on the back and say, love you, but behind your back, I hate you. That's fake. And people see it. They know it. They can see right through you when you do it. You might get away for a moment with it, but it will come to light. Christ has given everything from his heart, and he's calling us to do the same for our brethren. Would he really give so much of his time during his ministry and the offering of his blood only to not care if we loved one another? Parents, who among you swell up with great emotion when one of your children does something selfless for another one of your children without being poked and prodded and coached and coerced and bribed to do that? You catch it out of the corner of your eye because you didn't even say anything and you see one of your kids do something lovely to one of your other children and you just start welling up your eyes get misty because it's a great sense of joy for a parent to see the children loving their other children. Imagine how our father feels in heaven. When I love Danny without being poked and prodded and coached and coerced, when I just love him, God is smiling in heaven going, this is why I sent my son. 
Yeah, he's there for us. His sacrifice was there for us, for our salvation. But is that it? Is our salvation ending at the point that we say, Christ, come into my heart, now we're done? Or is there more to being Christian than just that point in which you were illuminated and you called yourself saved? Oh, there's a lot more than that. Christ died for us because we couldn't do it ourselves. And once you know him, his highest calling for us is to love one another. I get it. We're human. It's hard sometimes. You hurt me, I want to hurt you back. This is what we're going to battle with because we're fallen creatures. We sin every day. This is why we need to bring it to Christ every day. We need to renew our minds every day. It happens. It's understood. It's not excused, but it's understood. We need to renew our minds like the new creatures that we are. The Bible calls you a new creature, whether you think you are or or you are not. You are. So we need to start thinking like that. And this is a purpose of Advent is to recalibrate us, to start showing love once again in ways that we didn't. Or if we have been showing love like that, turn up the heat and show it more. We are supposed to be pouring ourselves out for one another. Scriptures tell us to esteem one another higher than ourselves. This is how those that don't know God will see our good works and our love for one another, and they will know that we love God and that God is with us. So the Father is calling us to esteem each other higher than ourselves, putting our selfishness aside to love other broken and errant individuals. We're all broken here. We all make mistakes. We all sin. I sin against you. You sin against me. So what? We're blood. We get past that. We don't want to be the kind of family where you hear this woman hasn't talked to her sister in over 20 years because she offended her about her pot pie at Christmas time 20 years ago. That's stupidity. But we hear it. I just heard it this week from one of my coworkers. She lives in the same town as her sister and hasn't seen her in years because she cares not to. That's ridiculous. You share the same genetic makeup. You share the same parents. There may be situations that put you across from each other, but it's time to rectify that in the time of Advent. Second and last point. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1-5. through five. So put away all malice, all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long after the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow into salvation. If, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Let's unpack that. What are spiritual sacrifices? Is it making sure that you do your daily scripture readings? You get that in every day? Your own personal devotion? Is that a spiritual sacrifice? Is it making sure that you lead your family in devotions? You pass on the faith that you have to your children and hopefully more faith. 
Is it making sure that your yard is clean to be a good neighbor? Is that a spiritual sacrifice? Yes, it is. All of that is. It's what we should be doing because we're doing it for the best outcome. But if all you're doing is teaching your children the things of God, and all you're doing is making sure that you are getting your own personal devotions in, and all you're doing is cleaning up and mowing your yard because you don't want your neighbor to be mad at you, if that's the heart that you're doing it from, we're not doing it right. We're cheapening love because it's a selfish thing. I'm doing my daily devotions because I have to because some minister told me I should, and it seems right. I'm going to do that, and I'm going to build myself up in faith, and I'm going to learn doctrines, and I'm going to learn how to be able to defend what I, what I believe. If it's just for that reason, that's wrong. It is a better way to do it for the reasons that I'm going to learn of God so that I can then spill out to all those that are around me so they can see the love of God. I'm going to teach my children so that they can learn and be built up as spiritual houses so that they can turn around and spill out. There's an image in Scripture that in the temple, the river is going to run out from the temple and it's going to go down the steps and it's going to go down into Judea and it's going to go out into the uttermost parts where he starts wading down and becomes neck deep in the waters of the river. Our purpose for doing things is to show love. This is why second part of Christ's sacrifice is so important. First part is for our salvation because we can't do it on our own. We can't get there. But then God says, yeah, now that I've shown you the greatest love, now I want you to go and show others the greatest love. I want you to give of yourself to your brothers, to your sisters, show love that way as I showed it. So this is a paradigm shift when we don't look at things as just being selfish. God did it for me. It's my salvation. So some of the other ways that we can see about this spiritual sacrifices, he tells us to put away all malice. What's malice? It's having or showing a desire to cause harm to someone. Have you ever desired harm to come to someone? Ever? Like in February of this year? It says to put away all deceit. Willfully lying to one another with the intent to induce that person to alter their position. It's like manipulation. Have you ever done that? Have you ever tried to convince someone? It doesn't have to just be a lie. It's deceit. Lying is built in there, but not always. Sometimes deceit is telling a truth in a way to get that person to alter their opinion or their direction about something. Also, put away all hypocrisy. It's a person who pretends to have Christian virtues. We know what a hypocrite is. Fourth one is envy. It's a resentful covetousness towards the traits or possessions of someone else. So I don't only have to envy that Curtis just nailed a massive buck. That's his possession. I can also envy the fact that he has the skill to do that, and I don't. 
and that makes me envious. So it's a trait or a possession that they have. And then the fifth one, slander. Any derogatory statement, true or untrue, to diminish and or to harm another person intentionally or even unintentionally. I think every single one of us in this room has slandered one of our brothers and sisters in the past. We do these things, all five of these things, and many others that just keeps counting. We do these things. So this isn't a list that we go through and we go, oh, I'm going to make sure I don't do these five today. And therefore, that makes me right with God. What makes you right with God, and you can see throughout the Old Testament, is the fact that God has been calling people to love. The scripture says, not by the blood of goats, uh, bulls and goats, have you satisfied the Lord. He has been looking for us to love him with all of our heart. He told us in the New Testament, what the greatest commandment is, is to love your God and your neighbor as yourself. So we don't just stop at loving God. That isn't good enough. If you're not loving your neighbor, then you're not doing the full package. It's not good enough just to love God. Whoever you heard that from. So let's use this time at Advent to recalibrate, to understand that our Father wants us to continue in the family business of showing love for each other. I've heard people in my past say, let's practice loving each other here on earth because we're going to be spending eternity together in heaven. None of us knows what heaven will be like. We don't know how that's going to shake out. But we weren't called to practice heaven. We weren't called to practice for heaven. We were called to implement heaven here on earth. You are my dearest friends on the whole earth the members of this church. You all are. And I want us to love each other in a real way. And in that real way, it sometimes gets painful. Sometimes you got to come to me and tell me where I was wrong. That hurts. And if I'm a jerk, I'll be jerky to you in the moment you tell me that. But hopefully the Holy Spirit works on me to turn my heart, to go back to you, to say, I'm sorry, I lashed out in defense. You're right. I see that, and I don't want to be that way. The reason why I was a jerk to you is because I do see it, and it hurts me to know the truth. I don't want to be that guy. We all need to be resting in the same place. We can't grow and we can't build as a church. This is a small church. It's not our desire to keep this many people. Not because we want numbers, because... I and Derek know what you all have to offer. And I want as many people in this great globe that we come across to experience what you have to offer because you're great brothers and sisters. You have so much to offer. So during this Advent time, we need to recalibrate our thoughts. Think of how we can esteem one another higher than ourselves. We all have areas in our lives that we can be selfish where we can say, "Mm, I don't have time for that one. I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And I'm doing this and I'm added that and I'm adding more things. I listened to Bill's list of uh, itinerary things that he's done throughout his uh, naval career in 20 years. And it's like, I've done nothing with my life. (laughs) Nothing. It's not about 
what I do or don't do. It's about who I do that to and what am I doing that for. So I can get as many degrees as there is availability, but that does nothing if I don't show you love. Paul said it. If I don't show you love, I'm but a annoying, clamorous-sounding crash of a symbol. That's all I am. I'm just noise. If I haven't shown you love. Sometimes we put all of our eggs in one basket. Or we try to diversify our eggs. We try to learn lots of things. Become theologically stout. It's good. It's all good. You should be. But if that's all where you rest upon is your knowledge base, how much you know, you're hypocritical because you're not showing love. Christ came not that we would be theologians, not that our yards would be pristine. Christ came so that we would have an example of how to show love to one another. There's a poem by Deborah Belka. It says... A promise to the world, a child to be given. So many years foretold, so all could be forgiven. Moonless night shining with the morning star, calling watchful shepherds to come from afar. Wise men carry gifts meant for a king. Angels up in heaven, glory, glory, sing. God became man. The good news is born. Begotten son arrives. On this Christmas morn, our mighty God concedes to the wickedness of men. The Prince of Peace comes to bridge the empty span. Wonderful is his name, counselor to the meek, the son who was born of flesh to give power to the weak. Our everlasting father knows our fallen state. So he sent his only son to save us from our fate. A promise to the world, our Lord and Savior is born. Sing praises to his glory on this Christmas morn. Dearest friends, put yourself aside and love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us not to just look for blessings during this Christmas season, but to go out of our way to bless one another. Remind us to pray for our friends and our loved ones. Every time I pray for myself, teach me, Lord. Teach us to invest in our relationships by sharing your love and grace with others. Show us today in our hearts how much we love and appreciate our brethren and to respond to each other with that knowledge, showing us how to truly be converted to each other in a mature and godly way. Father, I pray that you will turn our hearts towards you as Christmas approaches. Let us not get caught up in the hustle and the bustle of the season. Yet, let us celebrate the gifts of hope and love and joy and peace that you sent us on that first Christmas. That first Christmas that you gave us the gift of hope wrapped swaddling in clothes and laid in a manger. Thank you, Father, for your immeasurable gifts and we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.